Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Have you turned your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and um, I'm ready to hear from God's Word. Um, I planned on originally speaking out of chapter 2 um, today, um, verses 12 through 30, but I felt as if God wanted me to preach this passage first and then go back to uh, chapter 2. And, th- and that's okay because chapter 2, verses 12 to 30 is almost a parenthesis. So we'll go back to that next week. But this week we're going to be considering chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Now let's just do a little review. Two weeks ago, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 4, we spoke about unity. There's a bit of a problem in the church at Philippi. This is a good church. There's godly people. But even in good church with godly people, there's going to be problems. And there's a problem. Apparently, two prominent women, and we saw godly women in chapter 4, were having an interpersonal problem with each other. And it was no small problem. It was big enough for Paul to have to write about it. We saw last week that one of the key components with unity is humility of mind. And Jesus Christ is our example of humility and of mind as he gave up. He emptied himself, not of his deity, but the privileges associated with his deity to come to the earth and serve and then to die on the cross. Now, this week, we're going to look at another problem. And I think this is probably a much bigger problem and probably why Paul spoke about Christ as our example of not just humility, but what he had to suffer on the cross. Because he had to suffer on that cross to reconcile a sinful man to a holy God. And when people look at Christianity and say, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but I have to earn my way to heaven, then you go back and say, well, then why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he go through all that hardship Why did God leave his throne and be battered and beaten on the cross if you had to earn your way to heaven? See, it downplays what he did. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said that, or uh, verse 21, I think it is. Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through works, then Christ died in vain. In other words, If we had to earn our way to heaven, then there is no point of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. And we frustrate or we downplay what he did. And that's serious, to downplay what Christ did on the cross. So today we are dealing with uh, a group of people that are known as Judaizers. And Judaizers, this, this teaching of the Judaizers had apparently trickled into the church at Philippi, and it was affecting people. They taught that Jesus died for the Jews, 
not for the world. They did not acknowledge the church. They considered Gentiles as unclean dogs. And they also believed that you had to keep the law in order to procure your salvation. And so it was a works-based salvation. And Paul is going to deal with this very serious problem. Now, the title of my message today is Religion Versus Relationship. Because I think that kind of helps us today. When we think of religion, we think of a set of rules that we keep in order to gain favor with God. But what the Bible teaches is a relationship with a person, not a bunch of rules that we keep. And so that's the title of the message is Religion Versus Relationship. And I have four points today. I think I have four points. I do. Number one, religion is dangerous and destructive. And I'll say it again, because I think Paul brings this out. Religion is dangerous and destructive. Number two, religion exalts self. Religion does not glorify God, but religion glorifies self. Human beings, humanism. That's what religion does. Relationship, on the other hand, is not about a set of rules, but is about a person. Yet we need to be careful. Because as Christians, we can fall into religion in a sense that it's about a set of rules instead of pursuing Christ. And then finally, we see the opposite of point number two. Relationship humbles our flesh and exalts Christ. Relationships drives us lower, makes us not think about ourselves and our reputation, but relationship with Christ wants to lift up Christ reputation. So let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We know, Lord, that this word is truth. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote this book um, over uh, 2,100 years ago or somewhere around that time period, uh, 2,000 years ago, give or take. But Father, he did not write this. Um, he did write it uh, under his own volition, but he wrote it under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. In other words, the words that we read here today are the words that you want us to hear. These words were penned ultimately by the Spirit of God. And because of that, Lord, it's truthful and it's reliable and it's alive and it speaks to us and it gives us insight into you and to us. And we have been given the Spirit of God, and we trust he will apply this message to our lives as he sees fit. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Religion is dangerous and destructive. Now, we see in verse 1, it's dangerous. Finally, when he says finally there, by the way, he's not saying finally, like I'm wrapping up this letter because he's only halfway through. He's saying, I'm moving on to the next problem. I'm moving away from this problem of unity, and I'm moving on to the next problem. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's a great statement. Find your joy in the Lord. And by the way, when you see that word Lord, that is kurios. Okay, That's, and, and usually speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word in the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament, was the word they used 
or Yahweh, God's personal name. So Christ is referred to as the Yahweh of the Old Testament, which points to his deity. That's a bit of a side note. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in God. For to me to write the same things to you is not tedious. Now note that. Paul is writing something to the church at Philippi that he has written to them before. At least once. The fact that he says it's not tedious could mean he's written on more than one occasion. So in other letters, now remember, Paul was writing letters to the church of Philippi. This one is just uh, inspired by the Spirit of God. This is one that is, that's, that's part of the Bible. But there's other letters he wrote. And he wrote to them about something. And the fact that he wrote to them more than once means that this was very important. And he says to them, it's not tedious. It's no big deal. Well, it could be a little bit of a big deal. Because the fact that he had a right to them again means they weren't listening. They weren't listening maybe to what he was writing. So he's saying it's no big deal, but maybe you're not listening. But then he says this. This is why he wrote it. But for you, it's safe. What's the opposite of safe? Dangerous, right? So that means you're writing something that's safe because there's something that's dangerous. What is that? Again, that's the Judaizers. The Judaizers teaching that Christ is only the Messiah of the Jews. The Judaizers teaching that you have to keep the law in order to be saved and gain merits with God. And this is trickling into the church. And Paul is saying this teaching is dangerous. So I'm going to go over this again. So religion is dangerous. It's also destructive. And I get that because of a few things. First of all, because of the words that he uses. But also because of where it leads people. You see, when people believe that they have to earn their way to Christ, no matter if you tack Christianity onto that or not, you still end up in the same place, lost forever. It's destructive. Now look at Paul's words. Look what he says here. Very strong words. Beware of dogs. Now we have a dog and some of you have dogs and, and there was two words in the Greek that were used for dogs. One was like a pet. That's not the word that she used to. These were scavengers. These were unclean animals. This was a term that was used for people that were unclean and the Judaizers would have called the Gentiles unclean and Paul is turning that around and saying, beware of dogs. See the strong words here? You guys are listening to them. They're dogs. They're unclean. Why is he saying that? Because they're destructive. He also says this, beware of evil workers. That speaks for itself. The work that they're doing is evil. Why? Because it's destructive. It leads people away from God instead of a right relationship with God. And then he says this, Beware of the mutilation, to mutilate your body. Best way you can describe this, again, we'll go back to the Septuagint. Remember when um, Elijah faced off with the 450 prophets of, of Baal, and the 450 prophets cried out to get fire out of heaven, and, and it wasn't coming, and what did they do? They started to cut themselves. That's the word that's translated in, in the, in the uh, Hebrew. That's the word they use in the Greek Septuagint. So they are false 
teachers. They're mutilating. They're, they're, they're leading people astray. So Paul sees this as destructive, and I base that on the strong words that he brings across here. Now, isn't it interesting? Go to, go to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment. Isn't it interesting Paul's attitude here towards the Judaizers? Now, they could have been nice people. They could have been people that were really good neighbors and, and people you would want to live next to and people that you had a lot of time for. Opposed to these people in Philippians 1. Now look at Philippians 1 verse 15. Remember Paul, he's under house arrest. It's not a house arrest where he's like watching cable TV. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Okay. And verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition. Now look at this. Not sincere, sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. These people were preaching the gospel, but with the wrong intentions, right? They were trying to make a name for themselves. And they were maybe even hoping that because they were doing it, and Paul was so popular, that Paul would get in more trouble because they were associated with Paul. That's mean. Paul didn't call them dogs, did he? No, look what he says. Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. What does it mean Christ is preached? The gospel is preached. Salvation through Christ alone and faith alone. That was preached. And Paul doesn't call them dogs. He says, that's okay. Because that message can, no matter how the intention says the way it's preached, people can still get saved. But on the other hand, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, I hope that the person, or excuse me, verses 8 to 10, the person that preaches a false gospel, and he's dealing with the Judaizers there as well, they are anathema, separated from God forever. And here in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 2, he calls them dogs and evil workers and, and, and um, mutilation. You see the difference? Because their message was destructive. Now, so religion is dangerous and destructive. And Paul goes over that. Now, religion exalts itself. Religion lifts up the person. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves, lest any man, I missed something there, but lest any man should boast. You see, if we can procure or earn our salvation, then we can boast about our self-righteousness. I've earned my way to God. I am a good person. I am a good Christian based on my efforts. That's what religion does. And Paul knew that. Because Paul was the chief of that. And that's what he's going to bring about here. He's going to say to them, you're listening to these Judaizers and, and, and they have some, you know, background in, in Judaism and they're Jewish and the law and those things and, and God's people are the Jewish people. But listen, I the more, I'm much more qualified than them. He's going to talk about that. But look at verse 
Look at verse 9 for a second, first of all, because he speaks about his salvation. But I want you to note this. How self is exalted by religion. And be found in him not having my own righteousness. That's what Paul was. And Paul says, I discovered. But before that, by implication, I had my own righteousness, which is from the law. I believed that by keeping the law, that I would earn my way to heaven. And that's how I lived my life. And I lived a pretty good life, a blameless life. You know, Martin Luther said, if salvation could have been procured through works, I would have gotten it. I would have gotten it. But then he would have gotten saved out of Romans chapter 1. And Paul would say the same thing. So Paul believed that salvation had to be procured by works. But then he discovered on the Damascus Road that that's not the case. Now, look at verse 3. Go down to Philippians 3. We're on this point. Religion exalts itself. Now, look at Paul again going after the, the workers here, the Judaizers. For we are the circumcision. Isn't that interesting? What is circumcision about? Well, that is generally a term given that the Jews would consider themselves as circumcision. It has nothing to do with salvation, by the way. In Genesis 15, Abraham, verse 6, believed God and he was saved. You're saved in the Old Testament the same way as you're saved in the New Testament. By faith, okay? Generally speaking, they looked forward to Christ coming, and we look back at Christ who already came, generally speaking. But it was always by faith. What did Abraham know? Not sure. But he was saved by faith. Romans chapter 4 talks about that. Circumcision has nothing to do with salvation, just like baptism has nothing to do with salvation. In Genesis 17, circumcision is implemented. And on the eighth day, God said that the children are supposed to be circumcised. Who? The descendants of Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of the Jewish religion. Abraham had a son, Isaac. And Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And then he had 12 sons, and that's the 12 tribes of Israel. Anyone that is a physical descendant of Jacob is a Jew, physical. God made a promise to Abraham and said, I am going to make a nation out of you. In order to have a nation, you need to have people and a land. And God gave them people and a land, and that's the nation of Israel. And they refer to as circumcision because they were circumcised as part of the Abrahamic covenant. In other words, you're Jewish and God's going to give you land. Land is still in the future. Now, Paul turns that around. And I want you to go to chapter Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Because he says that we, now remember the church at Philippi, the city of Philippi, was a, a city that was a Roman city. In fact, it was called in its day Little Rome because they were trying to 
uh, make a great influence of Rome, Rome in that part of the world. Okay, and I think the city Philippi, if my memory serves me correct, was Philip who was the father of Alexander. And there was a lot of Hellenism in that city. So they're trying to change that around. Point is, there's a lot of Gentiles. There's a lot of Gentiles in Philippi. So um, they wouldn't have been called the circumcision. Now, go to Romans chapter 2, verse 28. So Paul is saying, there are believers here, and we are really the circumcision. Now look at Romans chapter 2, verse 28. This is Paul's writing this again. He says this. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. You know what the problem of the Jews was? This was the problem that Paul deals with them in the Romans in the beginning. They thought, and Christ dealt with as well, because I am a physical descendant of Abraham, I am God's chosen, and therefore I will be part of God's kingdom. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to get right with God. And that's what Paul is saying, right? And he's saying, you're not just a Jew in the sense, you're not right with God just because you're a Jew, because you're circumcised, pointing back to the fact you're of Jewish descent. You're not a Jew outwardly, but look at verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. You see, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're not a physical descendant of Abraham, but you're a partaker of the promises that were given to the Jew. And then he says this, and searches in the heart, in the spirit, okay? What does that mean? Not in the letter. Again, it points to the heart. We're not looking to obey the walls outwardly, we're looking for God to do a transformation from the inside out. That's the idea. Whose praise is not from men, religion, right? But from God, relationship. Now go back to, to, to Philippians chapter 3. Religion exalts self. That's a little sidetrack there because of what Paul said. I thought it was important for us to talk about that. Now, Roman, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3. I'm, I'm Roman, sorry. Philippians chapter 3. Verse, For we are the circumcision, now look at this, who worship God in spirit. The same thing he just said in, in Romans. He's talking to Philippi, or Gentile believers mostly. Who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. And have no confidence in the flesh. See the contrast? Religion is sauce the flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh. The flesh gets you nowhere with God. It doesn't make you right with God in salvation. And it does not help your walk with God after you're saved. We have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says. Now, Paul again, because this was such a, an important topic... And because apparently the church at Philippi had been somewhat influenced by these Judaizers, is going to now take out something that he doesn't normally do, but he's going to say, I am more qualified to talk about Judaism than those individuals who are leading you astray, because I was one of them, and I was the chief of them. Look what he says now. 
Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have, have confidence in the flesh, I more so. In other words, I, again, am more qualified than them concerning Judaism. So he brings his credentials to the table. Look what he says in verse 5. Circumcise the eighth day. Genesis 17. As a Jew, you're supposed to be circumcised. Paul says, I was circumcised as a boy on the eighth day, and some of these Judaizers may not have been. They could have gotten brought into Judaism later, or their family could have been slack about that. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Okay? There's my qualifications. Then he says this. Of the stock of Israel, my mother is a Jew. My father is a Jew. Some of these could be kind of half-breeds. Their father may have been Jewish, their mother's Gentiles, etc. Not me. Some of them could have been proselytes where they were brought into Judaism. Not me. I'm 100% Jew. I'll bring my credentials. Of the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, that's the tribe. I can trace, I can trace my lineage after all these years and all these centuries back to Benjamin. Can you? Can they trace it back? And by the way, Benjamin was the first king. Remember, Saul wasn't a great king, but it was the first king. And Benjamin was the tribe that that um, stayed loyal to Judah, which is Jerusalem, which kept the, the king's uh, the uh, messianic line. Paul says, that's my tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I speak the Hebrew language. Not many people did. I speak the Hebrew language. Yes, he knew the, the, the Roman, or excuse me, the Greek language, because this, this book is written in Greek. But I speak the Hebrew language. Do they speak the Hebrew language? You want to talk about somebody that was in a Judaism, I'm more than them. I'm more qualified. Then he continues. Concerning the law of Pharisee, the Pharisees were experts on the law. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. The Sadducees, from my understanding, traced their lineage back to the priest. But the Sadducees began to depart away from the scriptures and went into more of the political realm. The Pharisees were the experts of the law. They knew that the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they were experts in law. They also knew the oral law. Paul was an expert in law of the Bible and oral law as a Pharisees. And again, he could say, are they Pharisees? Do they have that background? I have the credentials. And then he says this, concerning zeal, you want to talk about zealous? These people are zealous for God. I was a zealot. That was a sect of Pharisees. And I believe Paul was one of those. He was a zealot. And you could turn, you need not do this, but you can turn to Acts chapter 26, verses 10 through 11. And Paul not only brought women and children into, into prison, he had them executed. He was a murderer for Judaism. Again, Paul's saying, you know, you can only see him getting worked up. You know, you think they had the credentials? Look at me. Why are you listening to them at all? He brings this out. And some, sometimes you have to bring out those credentials. I remember one time 
a friend of mine. He's a, a scientist, very humble man, and, and is one of the top uh, 10 scientists uh, and, and with, was tied up with uh, mobile oil, a brilliant man. And one time, and I remember in our youth club, he was talking to some man about the gospel, and the kid said, listen, I come from, and he was in high school, I come from a science background, and there's things about the Bible and science that you wouldn't understand to this guy. And the guy says, well, try me, you know, and then they went on. And that's what Paul's doing. He's doing this for the cause of the gospel. Persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If you could procure salvation through the law, I was the guy. That's what Paul said. Was I perfect? No. But I lived a pretty moral life. Very hard to win somebody that's moral, very moral to Christ, isn't it? Very difficult. Paul said, I was one of them. In fact, uh, it was stated that by the Lord that it's hard, it's hard, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. He was being goaded by God and he was kicking against it, which makes it worse. Now, Paul says this, he lays the platform. Again, we're in this point, religion exalts self. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Paul says this, that word gains is a plural. Think of it as gains. Those things that were assets to me, all my credentials, I lived my whole life, these were assets to me to, to, to earn merit and favor with God. And Paul said, I count it. It's in the perfect tense. It means it's a complete action. I count, there's a time when I realized that all these things were actually detrimental to me. And that's what these Judaizers are trying to do to you. They were lost. I counted them lost for Christ. And so religion exalts self. And there is no one that was more into religion than Paul. And he said, these things that we thought were gain are not. Now, we move on to our third point. Relationship is not about a, a, excuse me, relationship is about a person, not a set of rules. And Paul brings that out here in verses 8 to 10. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'm going to visit that, revisit that in a second, because there's a lot of power there. But I want to show you this as well. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. That phrase there, I have suffered the loss, comes from one word. Notice it's in the past tense. It's a business term. How can I explain this term? All right, so I worked for a company and I was a, a, a truck driver for a candy company. And not the big trucks that, that Rich drives, like a box truck. And one day I had a job 
And the next day I got one day I got a phone call and said that the owner of the business was embezzling money to the count of $26 million. By the way, it was a deacon in our church. And all the assets had been seized up. That's what Paul is saying. Everything I own has been seized up. Now, let me show you as a point of interest. Go to Acts chapter 22 for a second. Because I want to show you here that Paul came from a very wealthy background. And I believe when Paul, what he's talking about here, is when Paul trusted Christ as his Savior, he lost it all. And not even by himself. It was taken from him. His position of a Pharisee, his respect, his prominence, and probably his wealth as well. Because his parents were wealthy. What I base that off of. Well, Acts 22, verse 1, um, excuse me, verse 3. See where it says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarshish. Remember he had a citizenship? Tarshish was a city where you had to be rich and wealthy and prominent and keep those riches and wealth and prominence or you were booted out of that city. So Paul's parents kept that up until the time Paul got saved. They didn't lose it, but he got booted. Now he didn't lose his citizenship, but he lost his wealth and his prominence. Now, skip down to verse 25, because it kind of, again, just a point of interest. Remember, Paul is, is taken prisoner in verse 25. It says, and as they bound him with, with, with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Okay, by the way. Roman citizens weren't allowed to be scourged, which was whipped 39 times by a leather, uh, a leather whip. They were put around like a pole. Their back was exposed. And oftentimes they would take a piece of metal and whip you. That's what Christ went through. Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen because he doesn't want to face this. And who can blame him, right? Now, when a centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, Take care of what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. And I think the commander has alternative notice, because it says, And the commander asked him, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. I think he knew Paul was from Tarsus, because that would have been common knowledge, and, and it would have been passed down. And he's basically saying is, I got it for a large sum of money. If you give me a large sum of money, maybe we can work something out. Now, if not, go down. If that's not the case, go down to chapter 24 of, chapter, of Acts, verse 26, when, he, when he's with Felix. Because that this definitely is the case. I think that Felix probably knew that Paul was from Tarshish. And Felix knew from being from Tarshish, he had to be wealthy. And he's looking, when Paul's going through this trial... It's a very corrupt system. And he's basically saying, hey, you know, 
Give me the brown envelope, and you're a free man. Just look at verse 26. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Why would he keep going to Paul, you know, this missionary that doesn't have two nickels to rub together seemingly because he knew his background. So here's the point as we go back to Philippians chapter 3. When the Apostle Paul lost his position, he lost a lot, humanly speaking. He lost a lot. Now look what he says here about this relationship. Because I think this gives power to verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That word knowledge is ginosko. That means a relationship with Christ. It's an experiential knowledge. All those things are lost, and that's okay, because what I prefer instead of that is experiencing Jesus Christ. And the challenge for us is, are we experiencing Christ? A relationship is built by spending time with the person. We build our relationship by spending time in God's word and by praying. And, and prayer was said, you know, prayer, we can generalize and say that's us speaking to God. Not just praying for others, although that's very important. Casting your care upon him, for he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Journaling, writing down our thoughts, writing down our struggles, pouring our heart out to God. That's a relationship. Reading God's word, studying God's word, understanding what God's word says, and then applying it to our lives. That's a relationship. Denying our flesh, denying all the things that come across our way. Not everything, so many things that want to get our attention and distract us from God. You see, the Apostle Paul said that I was prominent, I was rich, I was wealthy, I was set up, I had honor in my community, but I count that all as nothing compared to my relationship with Christ. Very powerful statement. That I may gain Christ, he says. I count those things as rubbish that I may gain, that I may build, that I may build my relationship with Jesus Christ. Experience Christ. The psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. Experiencing God. That can only come with spending time with him. Now we dealt with verse 9. Go to verse 10. That I may know him. I experience my relationship with Christ. I count those things as worthless. That I may know him. Again, the same word. That I may build my relationship with him and the power of his resurrection. That speaks of experiencing the power of the new birth. Victory over sin. Victory over sinful habits progressing in our sanctification. Oh, it's such a slow progression, isn't it? But progressing nonetheless. Being at it. That's what Paul says. The power of his resurrection. 
and the fellowship of his sufferings. Brother Mark read the Corinthians passage this morning. And the point there is that Paul suffered. But even in that suffering, in sorrow, yet rejoicing. Circumstances can be difficult. And I think Paul, if you ask Paul, hey, do you want to be out of prison? He'd say, yes. Just like Joseph, when he was in prison. When he said to the, to the, um, the I was either the butler or the baker, I can't remember which one. But he said to them, and when you get out, remember me. I don't want to be in prison. Some are in hard circumstances. And we went out, and that's normal. Rejoice. Sorrowing yet rejoicing. What's Paul saying here? The fellowship of suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you can look at that later, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, it teaches us the first few verses that the more God is the God of all comfort and comforts us in our tribulations. And the more we suffer, the more God comforts us. And I think that's Paul saying. Paul was suffered a lot, but in that suffering, there was close communion with Christ because he poured out his grace. A relationship. Paul had this relationship with Christ. And being conformed to his death, made into his image of his death, and I think that speaks of dying to self. Jesus Christ humble, had a humble mind. You remember, humility is not being low. I don't think highly of myself. That's a self-esteem issue. Humility is, I don't think of myself at all. I think of God's glory. And I think of people. That's humility. Biblical humility. And Paul, when he's saying here in verse 10, being conformed to his death, is that just like Christ surrendered his will to God the Father, he died to self. That's what you and I need to do. You see, if we're going to have a relationship with God, it's dying to self and to about a person. And so religion, a relationship, we have a relationship with Christ. It's not about a set of rules. It's about spending time with Christ. And when we spend that time with Christ, then what to do and what not to do will just flow. And then fulfilling the law will just flow. It won't be a burden because we're in fellowship with Christ. He'll change our desires. People say, you don't do this. You know, in Ireland, a religious country, does your religion teach you not to do this? No, I don't do that because I don't desire to do that because of my relationship with Christ. And finally, relationship humbles our flesh and exalts Christ. Look at verse 11. A very, in, in some ways, a puzzling statement here in verse 11. Hard to understand what Paul is saying, but I think it's probably a statement of humility. He says this, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, we know what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Paul was wondering if he was going to be resurrected. He already stated. He already stated to me to live as Christ, right? He already stated in Philippians chapter 1. He knew that he, with, if he died, he was going to be with God. 
He wrote a whole chapter in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 talk about his hope of the resurrection, of the resurrection his, his confidence in the, in the resurrection. So he's not saying, you know, I hope that I might be resurrected. So what is he saying? And by the way, the resurrection here is a resurrection out from the dead. You know, there's two resurrections, the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. And he's saying to be resurrected out of the resurrection of the second resurrection, which is the great white throne judgment. So what is he saying here? I think it's a statement of humility. I go back to verse six. And if it's not a statement of humility, which I believe it is, there's, there's many things in this, this passage we just read that will point to humility in the flesh. But in verse six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I wonder when Paul wrote that, he thought about all the hardship he did. And I think what he did to the church, murdering people, I don't think he ever really got over that because he wrote that several times. I think it's hard to get over that. In fact, I think God probably used that to motivate him to serve Christ. He murdered believers. That's serious. And almost like this, that somehow God will see me a wicked sinner who murdered his church and be gracious enough to resurrect me as well. I kind of think that's what he's saying. Now. And that's what relationship does. It humbles us because we see that we are sinners and the closer we get to God, the more gracious we see how God is. So I had Brother Mark read Psalm 103 today because how God's mercy is so great in our lives. But look at verse 3 as well here in this chapter. At the end he says, and have no confidence in the flesh. You see, relationship humbles our flesh. I have no confidence in myself. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart of man is desperately wicked. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know me? Why would I have confidence in that? Paul says, I have no confidence in my flesh. Religion teaches, I'm going to go get it. I'm self-righteous. Relationship teaches, there's nothing good in me. See the difference? In verse 7, along the same line. But those things which were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. I thought my flesh and my accomplishments were something that God was going to be pleased with, but now I know differently. And so I go back as I close to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Humility of minds, serving God, and Christ didn't have to think this, but we need to. Cover in our mouths, as in Ezekiel 16, 63. No exalting ourselves, but covering your mouths in humility. But by the grace of God, this is what I would do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he accomplished for us. Thank you, Father, 
for the lives that he has changed here in this congregation. And Father, we can, we can echo the things of Paul. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to be resurrected. But we thank you because of Christ's righteousness on us. Because of the free gift we received through faith alone in Christ alone that we are forgiven our sins. We have you working in our lives. We have a relationship with you and we have a home in heaven and all glory be to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.